Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. Hello and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. It's Richard Lummis, and I'm here with Tom Fox for another discussion on how we can learn to improve our leadership skills, uh, preferably by looking at others' mistakes as well as some good examples. We try to draw our examples from subjects we find interesting and from a lot of different sources, including history, some fiction, and sometimes business writing and even movies. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Today we're going to continue our series on the leadership qualities of some of the early presidents of the United States. Today's topic is John Adams, our second president. Uh, For those interested, the standard biography is probably the one by David McCullough, cleverly titled John Adams, which won the Pulitzer Prize. Adams the Elder had a very lengthy and eventful public career beginning in the late 1760s. He first came to national prominence as the uh, legal counsel who defended the British officer and soldiers involved in the Boston Massacre in 1770. His presidency also uh, and his uh, leadership during the Revolution are also going to be topics we'll touch on during this podcast. Tom, what lessons do you think we can learn from John Adams that are applicable to leadership today? So I do have to, to start off by talking about McCullough's biography, because if you haven't read it, it's, it's a fabulous book. It's a fabulous read. It opened up a world to me that I had not uh, focused on, which was uh, New England in the pre-revolution and not simply Boston. Um, and also, I just have to mention the, the love affair that came across between Adams and his wife. I, I was not really aware that... Um, she, uh, the love affair between uh, he, she and her husband uh, throughout, um, and she was his, his, his number one confidant. confidant. So uh, if you have a chance to read the uh, McCullough cleverly titled work, John <laughs> Adams, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, lots to, to really talk about. Um, some of the things that uh, leadership skills that uh, I observed in my research um, for this podcast, Richard, was that uh, Adams did not operate in a bubble, and he sought counsel from others. And we saw this, I thought, most particularly in his leadership in the revolutionary, uh, I can't remember the title, it wasn't Revolutionary Council, but he was a part of uh, the group that led the Revolutionary Congress after uh, 1775 and uh, forward and led the war effort, and that included uh, obviously, the appointment of Washington, but also financial health of the colonies, the uh, logistical support for the war, uh, writing of, uh, of uh, laws for the state of Massachusetts. He was governor of the state of Massachusetts. Uh, just a, a wide variety of um, work in the revolutionary government part. He was not a soldier. Uh, I would not have said he was a statesman. Um, he was something else. Um, but the leadership skills that he brought to bear, where he uh, always utilized uh, uh, others, always sought counsel from others. Um, he's famous for saying, facts are a stubborn thing, uh, in, uh, particularly around the, the Boston Massacre. As a legal, uh, with my legal training, he was one of the true heroes of the legal profession for defending the officer who's alleged to have given the order to fire uh, that led to the Boston Massacre, and he successfully defended that uh, officer uh, from a charge uh, brought by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts at the time. <clears throat> and so uh, uh, it taught us as lawyers that uh, just because the uh, greater populace may want 
someone hung, literally, uh, doesn't mean a lawyer can't and shouldn't do their job and can do so successfully. And that uh, if you put 12 people in the box, i.e. the jury, that they will, if presented with facts, come around to uh, the right answer. So that was really uh, kind of an early um, leadership lesson. I know you had a, a really interesting um, alternative view of that that uh, you had uh, taken in, uh, or uh, determined in uh, some research. So I might uh, let you share with that because I hadn't heard it. And that, frankly, I think it's a fascinating story on at least uh, that part of his career as uh, counsel for the uh, British officer who was, uh, led the British troops in the Boston Massacre. Uh, yeah, he also represented the, the individual soldiers. Um, there were eight soldiers, as I recall, and he got six of them acquitted, and the other two were only found guilty of manslaughter and were branded on their thumbs. And so uh, Adams was absolutely vilified uh, for taking the case in the first place. He feared for his safety, he feared for his wife's safety, not unreasonably given the uh, climate in Boston at the time. Numerous royal officials had had to flee for their lives and had their houses burned and so forth. So um, personal safety was a real concern, and yet he still took it. And the classic view, which is that of McCullough, is that he did it out of purely um, disinterested motives and respect for the majesty of the law. The alternative view is that he took it as an attempt to um, basically cover up the role of the Sons of Liberty in Boston in fomenting the uh, attack of the mob on the soldiers that resulted in the um, soldiers shooting back. And I think, I think it's more a devil's advocate argument than it is the truth. I think we frequently forget how consumed people of this, at this time were with the concept of personal honor and integrity. And they didn't always live up to it in person, but certainly they, they held it up as an ideal far more than most of our politicians do today. But he, um, when describing the mob, he described them as a motley rabble of saucy boys, Negroes and mulattoes, Irish Teagues and outlandish jack tars, and fails to mention that they were frequently, these such mobs were frequently organized by the Sons of Liberty specifically for the purpose of provoking the British. And he manages to present this as uh, an inevitable occurrence of the British being there in the first place. Um, but he definitely overlooks or uh, downplays the, the conspiracy to provoke the British um, in his defense of the soldiers. Uh, I misnamed uh, his wife. It was Abigail Adams, not Dolly Adams. So I apologize for that. But one of the um, interesting uh, quotes from Adams himself was that uh, uh, really it showed the strength of his leadership reflected the strength of his marriage. And he said it was the paradox uh, or McCullough said, rather, it was a paradox of their lives. As much as the public role kept them apart, Adams always needed to be with Abigail and she with him. They would never become accustomed to being separated. Uh, so as a happily married man, I'm uh, certainly pleased uh, to read that. Another um, uh, leadership uh, um, lesson is the ability to see absolute, uh, or the ability to see in others uh, abilities, recognizing talent. Uh, Washington, it was Adams who was the first to submit 
Washington's name for the uh, general of the Continental Army. It was actually Adams who recruited Thomas Jefferson to uh, draft the Declaration of Independence, and he asked Benjamin Franklin to help uh, edit that document. So I realized that when you have uh, that kind of team together or that kind of talent, it may be obvious. Nevertheless, uh, putting the right people in the right place, particularly around the uh, the writing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, was a key component of uh, what Adams brought to the leadership of the Continental uh, Congress. We talked about uh, perseverance and uh, he was a farmer. He was a farmer in New England. I can't imagine a more difficult task, frankly, than being a farmer in New England, um, both from the soil and the climate um, as well. Nevertheless, uh, he learned perseverance. He was not a particularly good speaker when he began his public career, but he worked. He read books. He read essays. He studied the classics. He studied Cicero. He studied the speeches of Demosthenes, and he practiced those speeches. Now, that was done quite often in that time frame. Um, because they were great speeches and they were recorded. Nevertheless, uh, he also showed, as uh, we did talk about in a little bit earlier podcast on Andrew Jackson, that um, you can be a self-made man and that, that self-matedness, if I can make up that word, can uh, take you to greatness. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I recall most vividly from the um, Jackson, excuse me, from the Adams presidency was the XYZ affair. And that was an affair that uh, uh, took uh, the United States and France to the, uh, to the brink of war. And it was uh, an affair where uh, uh, certain uh, American sailors were captured and that uh, Adams had to, to walk a very fine line between the Federalists who were clamoring for war, uh, the Democratic Republicans led by Jefferson who uh, wanted to have a more friendly uh, relations with the French, uh, really to counteract the British. <clears throat> and the lesson I drew from that was not only could Adams navigate a particularly treacherous or multifaceted uh, crisis, but he could see the big picture. And I think he could see that uh, really America's future lay with a closer relationship with Britain, even though he had um, been condemned by the British. Uh, to be hanged if they had won the war, and certainly we had another war upcoming with the British uh, just a few years after his presidency ended. Never, nevertheless, he was able to see the larger picture and uh, kept the United States out of war. So uh, anything that you saw in either of those two events that you thought granted uh, or, or looked to uh, leadership lessons, Richard? Yeah, I think that the... Um I think you're right about the, the relationship with France. Um the French were impressing American sailors, so were the British. Um, but he recognized correctly that the young republic was in no shape to fight a war with, with either. And I think one of the things that he was doing here was drawing on the well of respect that uh, he had built up during that period uh, in his service for the Revolutionary Congress, that people did respect his judgment uh, based on his, his past performance. And going back to your point about his recognizing talent, um, a couple of things. One was his appointment, or his pushing for the appointment of George Washington. A lot of people were angling and pushing very hard to become uh, head of the Continental Army. Washington was not. He was always very diffident about it. So in a way, for Adams to get him appointed was even more remarkable than it might appear at first glance, um, because he was 
pushing back against some very accomplished political actors um, who wanted the job for themselves. And in his appointment of Jefferson uh, to write the Declaration, I think Adams was a very good communicator. He certainly had uh, no slouch as a writer. So I think one thing it shows here is his, I guess, innate modesty, uh, his recognition that someone else was actually better for a job that he could he could perform quite confidently himself. You know, that's a great point um, because um, one of the things that we have talked about, I think, consistently as a leader, uh, you need to recognize the talent in others. But if you are a very talented individual, uh, you may, one, uh, want to do it yourself uh, simply because you can do it more quickly and efficiently. Excuse me. But number two, uh, because of your talent level, you may not find that others really are up to your talent level. Uh, and you may, uh, uh, your point, though, I think was that he recognized Jefferson had the greater talent. And um, that's an equally important um, skill to have in having the leadership. Um, uh, in a uh, blog post by Tony Morgan, uh, he had uh, some leadership lessons he learned from John Adams, uh, largely from reading um, the McCullough biography. And there's a couple that we really haven't uh, highlighted too much uh, and some that we have. But uh, one I thought was very interesting from the era, which was pay attention to physical health. And that's not something that we have talked about really at all, uh, certainly uh, your own personal health, but uh, the health of a CEO, I think, can uh, really impact uh, a corporation. And uh, without wishing to put uh, uh, the double uh, hex on anyone, uh, but um, the president of uh, CEO, rather, of uh, United Airlines, Oscar Munoz, he had a heart attack and had to have a heart transplant. Uh, one month after he took over as CEO. And I've wondered what that effect, um, I mean, I've only had one catastrophic injury in my life, um, and it was simply a few broken bones. Uh, I didn't have my chest cracked for a new heart. And uh, the <clears throat> recovery period is uh, quite intense, intensive, and the physical skills that you may have had before that event uh, are going to be very different after the event. So uh, paying attention to physical health and the physical health of a CEO um, may be an area that uh, uh, C, uh, excuse me, boards or CEOs or other leaders need to, need to consider. Um, Adams also was a lifetime learner. And um, I think you and I probably... Um, would accept that title uh, as well, and uh, I'm, you know, quite proud of it. On the other hand, uh, it's it's not something I've, I've striven to do, but it's just something that I do, and I, I do it because I love doing it. And Adams, I think, uh, showed that um, if we could point to his correspondence with Jefferson uh, in the last uh, 15 years of his life, it's now become well known that they corresponded, <clears throat> even though they were bitter political rivals. A part of that was uh, a respect they had for each other as founding fathers, but also, I think it was uh, certainly with Adams, was an attempt to learn and continue learning and, frankly, learning up to the day he died. So always or, or never stop learning is another um, very important uh, lesson for leadership. And then finally, when there's a new vision, uh, there'll always be grumbling. And uh, if, that's, <laughs> if that's not a truism for leader, uh, I think uh, there are no truisms. 
So um, uh, there are going to be people who grumble about change. Uh, and if you have learned and if you have synthesized the information and the facts and you need to make a change uh, because uh, you have a new vision, uh, persevere with that uh, vision. Well, I think that's a, that's a great point. The um, and I think part of the lifetime learning thing takes us back to his his character as a self made man, um, and he he did he, he not only had an eye for talented people, but he had an eye for things that that he thought he should know, and he had a real diligence about learning them. I think you pointed out his his constant striving to improve his speaking skills. So I'd really like to end with a um, quote from an article that appeared in the Harvard Business Review called Timeless Leadership by Brown and Fryer, where um, David McCullough, the author we've been talking about, was interviewed. And uh, although this quote was not about Adams, I found it so powerful and and ties into so many things that uh, we have discussed in this podcast series. I really wanted to to read it. And once again, it's David McCullough, the author of... um, John Adams. So the question uh, uh, was how to become a certain type of of presidential leader. And this was the response. Start by listening. And this is the next part that I just uh, fell in love with. If I were teaching a course at the Harvard Business School, I put a lot of emphasis on listening. Listening means asking good questions and taking in what people have to say. Listening also means hearing what people are saying, what's bugging them. And that is uh, really um, one of the skills we have consistently talked about is good listening. Uh, But here, McCullough uh, details uh, more than just sitting um, uh, passively listening. You act actively listen. You need to ask good questions. You need to hear uh, what people are saying. And more importantly, what they are not saying and what's bugging them. And I recognize this was not about uh, Adams. But I still think it was um, a great quote, and I just uh, am so pleased that uh, David McCullough talked about uh, listening as a leadership lesson. Yeah. Um, That was an interesting interview. Uh, I think that was in Forbes? Harvard Business Review. Yeah, HBR. Um, So, yeah, you might want to look it up if you have a chance. We'll link to it in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. Informative as always. And until next time, this is Richard Lummis with 12 O'Clock High. Thank you. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.